Alrighty, shalom and welcome. Welcome to this week's video Parshas teaching for Parshas Yisrael. It's great to be with all of you here today. Um, just so you know, if you go to the website, guitarrabbi.com, you can go and subscribe to my podcast known as Baruch B'Shem Yeshua which um, has topical teachings that I do weekly on things with the New Testament, the Torah, and so on and so forth. You can go and subscribe to it as well on Apple Podcasts and be able to um, take uh, the feed as well using the feed burner link and put it into whatever podcast software that you listen to podcasts on. You can go and copy that link into those. And so that's a little bit of an extra audio only. And we do the video for um, here on Rumble and soon to be on YouTube as well. But it's great to be with all of you here today. Let us go ahead and uh, get started by going into prayer. Baruch Ata Adonai Elohinu Melakalam Ashekirishana Mitzata Vitsivanu La Aso Bitvre Latara. Blessed are you, Hashem our God, Master of the universe, who has sanctified us in the words of your Torah. I ask, Father, that you be with each and every single one of us as we go through your parshas here today. I ask, Father, that you help in each and every single individual who is watching this, listening to it, help them to grow in their walk with your Messiah, Yeshua. I ask, Father, that you edify each and every single person's life that is listening to this. And I ask, Father, that you use your Holy Spirit, your Ruach HaKodesh, to speak through me the things that need to be said to the individuals who are watching. I ask these things and I pray these things in Yeshua's holy name. Amen. All right. So guys, this week I'm doing something a little bit different. There was one concept within this Torah, and it's the concept of the name of the Parshas, the individual in which it's named after, which is Yisro or Yitro in the in the uh, Sephardi. And you may know him as Jethro. There are some concepts that I was reading about in the Gunnik Homish, things that I have touched upon before, but I really have not really dove in to this concept like I should because it's something that parallels what we see in the Guf HaMashiach, in the body of Messiah today. And I thought that it was something very important to talk about in this teaching here today. So a lot of what it is that we're going to be reading here is not directly from the scripture itself, but rather from the commentary within that of the Gutnik Homish, because it goes on and on and on. We're going to be hearing from Rabbi Nachman, or not Rabbi Nachman, Menachem Mendel Schneerson. We're going to be hearing from Rashi. We're going to be hearing from the Rambam. We're going to be reading from Or Chaim. All of these things about this individual, this this figure that comes out of nowhere, known as Yisro, who was a Midianite priest who came to help the Jewish people. And there are many parallels to this that um, I think we need to be looking at in the body of Messiah. Okay, let us go to the first slide here. 
Here over here is the opening of the Parsha, and we find this, the name of the Parsha. Yisro was an idol worshiper. In fact, he worshipped every idol that was known to exist. Okay, this help, This starts us out letting us know just the kind of dude that he was. How could the Parsha in the Torah be given, be given, uh, is given, be named after an idol worshiper? The idol worshippers were not fools, as it may seem at first glance. Rather, they were intellectuals who spent their lives pondering the higher spheres of existence. So when Yisro, priest of Midian, abandoned idolatry and came to the desert, it was an informed decision. When he, uh, when he said, Now I know that God is greater than all other deities, as we see in Exodus 18.11, he was accrediting Torah, the honor that an esteemed individual testified that Torah is the greatest wisdom of all. In this way, he handed over his idol worship to the Torah. Hasidus teaches that there is a subtle overtone of idol worship in any mitzvah that is done for an ulterior motive. Wow. The idol worshiper looks into a force rather than to God and a mitzvah that is performed without the correct intentions is also an act is also an act that is done for a motive of other than that of God's will obviously the comparison is an extreme remote one even if a mitzvah is performed for the wrong reasons or out of rote it is still a good deed but the fact remains that an ulterior motive makes the mitzvah smell of idol worship does this mean that a person should stop doing mitzvahs? If his motive is not pure, not at all. The person should always continue to observe the mitzvahs, even if his motives are not entirely pure. Because eventually he will do them for the right reasons. Then he will become like Yisrael. Because all good deeds that he performed for the wrong reasons... His former idol worship will be handed over to God. Okay, now this is huge here. This is huge. One of the things that I often talk about is the concept of lishma. What is lishma? For the sake of. What is the reason why it is that you're fulfilling mitzvahs? Why is it that you're proclaiming Yeshua, Jesus, as the Messiah, are you doing it because of the fact that, hey, that's kind of what my community does, or this is all that I've known, or what's the reason why I, I, I do it? The, everything that we do, and a lot of the times it comes out of haughtiness. Look at how awesome I am. Look at how elevated I am. Look at, look at how much of a big deal I am. We see this a lot earlier on. Early on in our walk, we see this. Rather often, we have done this. We have said, I'm not like those guys over there. Look look at me. I'm eating kashrut. I'm doing the kosher. I'm doing the Shabbos. You know, I'm, I'm doing all the... I, I'm a big deal. I'm a big deal. But we see that Yisro had left all those things behind. 
because of the concept of lishma, lishma Hashem, for the sake of God, as opposed to for his own sake, for the sake of God, for the intentions of God. That's the reason why it is that he has done this. And the thing is, our sages go and you know, make it known to us that he was a Midianite priest. This is a guy who decided to follow the God of Israel and to do these things for the sake of Hashem and to help the Jewish people. In our next slide, the question becomes, what caused Yisro to go to the desert? The Malkita tells us, what report did he hear that caused him to come? Rabbi Yehoshua said, it was the story we have read, i.e. war against Amalek. Rabbi Eleazar said it was the splitting of the, of the Sea of Reeds. Since this event was heard from one end of the world to the other. Okay, so we're getting into a little bit of Lishma Torah here. The 70 faces of the Torah that we find within that of the Medrash Rabbah. Rashi says, what report did he hear that caused him to come? The splitting of the Red Sea and the war with Amalek. Mizrahi says, Rashi held that the two options in the Malkita were not arguing with each other, so he incorporated them both as one. That's one of the things about Lishma Torah. 72 faces of the Torah. 72, all of which are correct. <laughs> Kind of reminds me of that story within uh, the movie um, Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, you're right. Oh, but I thought you said I was right. You were also right. Well, how can the world can they both be right? Well, you are also right. <laughs> we also have another one of the sages go and say that Rashi came to this conclusion because the verse states Yisro heard all that God had done, and not Yisro saw or Yisro knew. This suggests that the factor that caused him to come was some past experience that could have only have been heard from a distance and not actually experienced. This rules out manna as well as Miriam, which he could have not only seen when he came. Another one of the sages goes and says, all the earlier miracles that had occurred to the Jewish people were specific to one area. The plagues of Egypt affected only Egyptians. For this reason, these miracles were not sufficiently impressive to Yisro to make him come to the Jewish people. However, the war with Amalek and the splitting of the, of the sea affected the most basic elements of creation. During the war with Amalek, Moshe had made the sun stop. Wow. Rashi goes over that in Shemot 17 too. And the splitting of the sea changed the nature of water. Therefore, it was these two miracles that made Yisrael come. The Parsha, Ibn Ezra says, the Parsha is written here to contrast it to the war against Amalek which preceded it. Amalek acted wickedly against the Jewish people, but on the other hand, Yisro acted kindly. This is one of those things of, uh, you know, going and being an Orlegoim, a light to the world. 
you know, going and taking what is bad and turning it for the good. This is something that we see within that of the book of of Bediashis, of Genesis. We see this happening when we have that uh, the, um, um, you know, the brother was sold off. When Yosef was, uh, not Yosef, when he was sold off by his brothers. The Torah, or Chaim says, why does the Torah stress that Yisro was a priest? Or Chaim says, the Torah does not intend to insult Yisro by referring to him as a priest of Midian. Rather, this expresses his usual virtue. Despite being so honored, he allowed Moshe um, to marry his daughter. Then when he was totally unaware of Moshe's greatness, despite the fact that he was um, an an erstwhile idol worship. He later proclaimed, God is greater than all other deities. Okay, so there's a speculation here as to why it is that Yisro came. This is neither here nor there. The fact is that he came, but this is this kind of lays the groundwork for the rest. Let's go to slide number three. Yisro came. Why did he come? You know, he heard about it, you know, and all this stuff. But what was going to be the effect? Yisro came to annul the effects of Amalek. But if Yisro did not come to convert them, why did he come? Rashi answers but that he had heard about the war of Amalek, not the victory over Amalek but rather the war itself caused him to come. The victory over Amalek was not a sufficient reason for Yisro to come, since there was nothing left to see. Rather, Yisro came to annul the negative impression that had been given to the nations of the world in the aftermath of the world war with Amalek. When the Jewish people came out of Egypt, the world witnessed how God treated them in a miraculous manner. It said, people heard, they trembled. None of them had the courage or the strength to make war with the Jews. Amalek, however, showed outright audacity. They were not scared of the Jewish people and they were going to make war with them despite the miracles that had occurred. Even though Amalek themselves suffered defeat, the very fact that they showed sufficient courage to fight caused a fear that the nations had of the Jewish people to dispensate. Amalek may have lost the battle, but they succeeded in cooling off the trepidation which people felt for the children of Israel. Then Yisro came and he left a place of honor in the world. Coming in a wilderness in order to have merit of being with Moshe and the Jewish people, he came to boost the esteem of the Jewish people, which had been shattered a great degree by the audacity of Amalek. We're going to go back to that slide here in just a minute and look at the rest. But the thing I want to draw a parallel of here that we should be, we, we, we should know the history of Amalek and of Esau that are, the sages say they are basically one in the same. And what is it that they represent? 
Well, it's interesting because according to the Talmud, it says that Esau and Amalek represented Rome. Now, that's very interesting because in the Gemara section, which is later that was put out after the rulings of the Sanhedrin, which is the Mishnah, we see them talking, and this could be, you know, second century in which they were saying this particular thing in the Gemara. The, the Mishnah section is first century and pre-first century. The Gemara, however, you know, kind of comes around to explain the Mishnah. That's its job. But in Sanhedrin 98 of the Talmud, it says within there that they are looking for the Mashiach. And they're saying, where is Mashiach? Where is he? We can't find him anyway. He should be here. And the interesting thing is the timing of this was the same year in which most scholars say that Yeshua himself was born. They're saying he should have come. And they go into this whole diatribe of, you know, we, we must have missed him, you know, so we're just going to rely on our good works. It's very interesting the things that you'll read in Sanhedrin 98 in the Talmud. But they said, we found the Messiah. He's at the gates of Rome. What is he doing over there? Well, he's going and bandaging up the afflicted and all that stuff and taking their old bandages off and putting new bandages on them and all that stuff. Now, the interesting thing is that at this time, Rome represented what was soon to become the Roman Catholic Church. So essentially what we have here is Judaism saying that the Catholics have the Messiah. They have the Messiah. But the thing is that it's interesting because we see for generations and years, Catholicism's war with the Jews. In recent years, that has kind of cooled down. But it's interesting because during the time of Rebbe Nachman, he says that Amalek and Esau are no longer Rome that they are now Islam. Now, this is very interesting because we have this whole thing with Amalek, this whole thing with Islam, this whole thing with a Midianite priest, all into the fold here contextually for this Torah portion. And when we read what it is that the sage, sages said about Amalek here, saying that it is now representative of Islam, we are constantly seeing Islam going and attacking Israel, attacking the Jewish people, you know, going and having Jews arrested at the Temple Mount, which we see right here behind me. We see pictures of the Temple Mount. For going over there, you know, recently, for going and taking nuts and dates down there during the time of Tishbayov. Because of the fact that it was religious observance, Jews were arrested by Islamic police officers for this, and they are constantly lobbying, lobbying bombs and missiles from Gaza. And the crazy thing is that every single time, God has put a stop to them. This little nation that is about the size of New Jersey 
has been protected by Hashem, has been protected by God in all of these things that they try and lobby against them. It's interesting because whenever it is that, you know, somebody asks what a what a Jewish holiday is all about, it's usually the same thing. They tried to kill us. They couldn't. So let's eat. That's a majority of them. There's, expect, there's uh, ones that aren't, such as Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and so on and so forth. But, you know, a majority of them are, you know, they tried to kill us, so let's eat. They couldn't. They couldn't do it. And so this has been our, been our, our, our history. They tried to wipe us out. During the time of the Holocaust, the Spanish Inquisition, the Crusades, all of these things. And when we look at the history of the Holocaust, we see that Islam was involved in so many ways with that. So many ways. In fact, there was a group of individuals known as the Kairites. They're still around a little bit. They're very prominent in like Hebrew root circles and stuff like that. But it's interesting because the Kairites are considered to be um, they are not considered Jews in the land of Israel. They're considered Palestinians. And why is that? Well, you know, they're a sect that, you know, was started in around 300 CE. And they originally stem from the Sadducees. And over time, when you don't have any sort of halakha, things start to get perverted over time. And that's what happened. They started to go the way of Islam. But some of them would still claim, you know, they were, were, were Jewish Kairites. We're Jewish Kairites. Though it is the Kairitism stems from Karinism, which was an Islamic thing. And they would, you know, the Kairites would use an Islamic calendar and all this other shit because they abandoned all sorts of halakha and all that. Um, but during the time of the Holocaust, what ended up happening is you had the Karimian Kairites that realized that they could move in between a form of Judaism and Islam. So the Karim Kairites, what they did is they worked hand in hand with the Nazis and said, oh, you need to find these Jews? We'll help you. We'll help you find them. We know where they're at. We'll hand them over to you. Well, wait a minute. Aren't you guys Jews? Oh, no, no, no. You call us Turks now. We're Turks. And so that's very interesting. I also find it to be very interesting that uh, one of the channels that YouTube tries to push all the time is the Young Turks. <laughs> I find that to be rather interesting. By the way, the Young Turks, the Islamic guy that runs that. But let us go back, you know, to, 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 to this whole thing because this sets the stage for so many different things. Let's go back to the slide. Why does the Torah call Yisro a priest of Midian? Why are we bringing this up again? We, 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 I thought we covered that before. Okay. There's a little bit to go over here. This leads us to understand what the verse states when Yisro, priest of Midian, father in love, Moshe, had heard. Why should the Torah speak to discredit Yisro, the father in law of Moshe, stating that the leading priest of idol worship? What is the point in stressing that he was the priest of Midian? You can see the sages are upset with this. Why do they say the same thing twice here? <laughs> They're just trying to hammer it away at us. We still do that today. However, with the words priest of Midian, the Torah wishes to stress the greatness of Yisro for his knowledge of idol worship 
indicates a level of knowledge and understanding despite all of this he heard and he came he abandoned his position of greatness and went into the wilderness in order to be with Moshe Rabbeinu and the Jewish people though this act he uplifted the esteem of the Jewish people in the eyes of the nations correcting the damage of Amalek's attack. Yisro's motivation was the splitting of the Red Sea as we saw before. Why does Rashi also bring the interpretation that Yisro came because of the splitting of the Red Sea? We're back to Rashi again. Rashi sought to explain the following question. Why would Yisro, the priest of Midian, abandon all of his personal affairs to come into the wilderness in order to help the Jewish people? In answer to this, Rashi writes, the splitting of the Red Sea, the splitting of the Red Sea caused the nations to be stunned by the Jewish people. Thus, after Yisro was shocked by the report of the splitting of the Red Sea, he was extremely impressed with the Jewish people. However, he did not come to the desert at this point since there uh, was nothing to be seen, as explained above. After the attack of Amalek, the Jewish people were in the need to boost in esteem. So Yisro decided to come to their assistance, having been so impressed by the splitting of the Red Sea. Okay. There's so much to, to go over here. So let's get into the commentary of this. Let's get into the commentary of this. Right now, many of us are stuck in a form of tribalism. If you are Jewish, it's like, okay, I'm only going to listen to Jewish teachers. If you're a Christian, some people say, I only listen to Christian teachers that are a part of my sect. Because I'm being told that everything else is wrong. I need to stay here. I need to be grounded here. It's very interesting because I was afforded the opportunity many years ago to speak at ETS and SBL where all of the biblical scholars come together and they present dissertations and, you know, go and give, give uh, a teachings there and then they get... Well, they get, they get challenged by the other scholars over there. And it's so interesting because of the amazing scholars there, like N.T. Wright, Dr. Mark Nanos, and many others. Many others. And the thing is that every single one of them are humble. And they'll go from, to be totally objective, they'll go from Christian source to Jewish source. I'll even use some secular sources in terms of historical things to say, does this jive with the history that is presented to us from these other places? Does it? And so they're always relying upon primary and secondary citation. And it's not with the citation that agrees with them, but right now we are so stuck in these boxes that we have chosen to put ourselves in 
that that we have in this Parshas Yisro, a guy who has abandoned idolatry, abandoned idol worship, abandoned all of these things. But because of his past, because of the things that were known about him before, if a Yisro, a person that came to help your church, your synagogue, or anything else, came in and says, hey, I've gone and dished all of those things. I'm coming over here to help you. I'm giving you some information. I know that Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, is having some issue over there. He's getting some, he's getting really stressed out because all these people asking him questions and he just, he's an old dude. He's an old dude. You know, he needs some help here. There's millions of you here. And, you know, all of you guys coming up to him and asking him this is the thing that, um, Yisro was helping Moshe Rabbeinu with. He says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start this thing. You're going to call it a Sanhedrin, okay? And you're going to, you know, separate people off by tens and some by a hundreds and all that stuff. You're going to appoint some of these people to these positions that you yourself train to go and answer these questions and all that stuff. If this were to happen today, because of this guy's past, because of the fact that, wait, 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 wait a minute here. There would be rumors spreading out. This guy over here is, uh, I, 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 I think he's kind of, you know, not coming from a right, I think he's trying to trick us. Now, we should never be naive. We should never be as such. But at the same time, the thing is that I look at the way that there is this division in the body of Messiah where it is fragmented and we have this tribalism and I've experienced it. I've experienced it because I used to be a part of the Hebrew Roots movement. And you know, with those guys, you know, you got your sacred name guys, you got your you got your flat earth guys, you got your, you know, um, you know, uh uh alien invasions are in the Bible guys. You have the um you know, uh, the, the anti-Semitic group, and you know, they, they, some of them kind of weave into one another. Some of them get bound up into all of those things, you know, and it gets really goofy. But, you know, the thing is <laughs> that it's so interesting because I remember so many times that I've always said, you know, there's never going to be a teacher that you agree 100% with. It's never going to happen. Never going to happen. And if, and if you get that way, you know what? You might want to check yourself because you might be in a cult. Okay, or you might have a cult-like mindset in the way that it is that you would stick up for, you know, a a a, a teacher that goes and say he does something just crazy, you know, really bad, maybe denies the Messiah, maybe he goes off and runs off with you know his secretary or something like that and leaves his wife, you know, just does something like that, and somebody's going to keep on, you know, sticking up for him. I've seen this happen with people who have done these things. And it is prominent when a person goes and elevates themselves to a position that they didn't do the work to obtain. But that's neither here nor there. But the thing is that it's interesting because it's like everybody else is wrong except for me. And this comes down to ego this comes down to a person not being able to fulfill mitzvahs for lishma Hashem, for the sake of God. They're doing it 
because they want to be accepted by this group. They want to be accepted by these people. They want to be accepted and to be elevated here. The thing is that I was a part of that whole thing. Now, my intentions at the same time through conversion, ordination, all those things were indeed pure. People thought I was out of my mind when I said, I'm ditching my shmichot, my ordination. And why did I do that? Because I saw what was happening to the Jewish faith and how it was inching its way into the halakha of those of Jewish faith who are believers in Yeshua. So often you see people piggyback off of Chabad because Chabad's big. Chabad's big. You know, whenever you look up anything Jewish on the internet, you got a 10% chance you're going to find Breslev. You're going to get about a 95% chance that you're going to find Chabad. Okay? And the thing is that Chabad is pushing, for instance, you know, lesbian rabbis, just like the Reform. They're saying abortion is okay. They're doing all of these things, but then I go and I open up the Talmud and I go and I say, wait a minute here. Wait a minute. Wait just a minute. According to the Halakha, that is thousands of years old, this wokeness, that is what you're trying to insert into Halakha now to build up Chabad, as opposed to doing things, Lishma Hashem is saying, you know what, this may not be very popular, but this is the Halakha. This is what God said. This is what our sages said. Instead of doing that, people saying, you know what, we need the numbers. We need to get people in here, you know. And you see this happen. With Yisro, it wasn't because of Hashem saying, you know what, I'm not very popular with those Am with those uh with uh Amalek. I'm not very popular with them. I'm not really popular with the uh with the Hittites and the Amorites and the, you know and all the other ites out there. I'm not too popular with all of them, so maybe it is that I need to change the way that no, the way that God saw it is you know what? I offered them the Torah, they rejected it. So I'm giving it to the very small group of people that did take it. Yeshua goes and says that the path is narrow. It's a narrow path. It's for a small group of individuals. But what does it come down to? Does it come down to your doctrine? Does it come down to, hey, do I have the right doctrine here? No, it's by the way that you love God, that you love the Messiah Yeshua, that you graft him yourself to the Messiah Yeshua. It's not about being right. It's about that about reaching those heights of love for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and for his son, Yeshua. That's what it's about. It's not about being the most intellectual out of the bunch because let me tell you something. All of the individuals that I've gotten to work with in the past that have learning disabilities and so on and so forth, let me tell you something. They are in a very lofty place with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, very lofty above myself, above many others. But the thing is that a person can only get to this place and accept a Yisro who has abandoned idolatry. If that person is humble and saying, hey, hey, the, the, this person better not try and steal the fire away from me. A person needs to be in that place. 
And that's the thing that we see about Moshe Rabbeinu. In fact, the Torah tells us that Moshe Rabbeinu was the most humble man that had ever walked the earth at that point. The most humble of which. So he says, Yisrael wants to come talk to me? Bring him on. He's a smart dude. Want to listen to what it is that he has to say? That's what Moshe Rabbeinu did. <laughs> it's interesting, though. I've yet to see anybody from one sect of Judaism say, you know what? I need to go talk with somebody of the Christian faith, or I need to talk to somebody else of this other sect of Judaism. Or a pastor go and say, you know what, if he's a Methodist, say, I need to go and talk to the, to the Baptist minister or friend about this and all this stuff, or I need to go and talk to, you know, the Jewish rabbi about this, you know, and all this stuff. It's like, nope, no, 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 stay in your little box. Stay in your little box. You got to have that tribalism there. You got to have that tribalism. And the thing is that we are so constrained nowadays by conferences and so on and so forth. It's so interesting because, you know, now it is that I have the freedom that I've given up my shmechot that I can go and say, you know what? <laughs> I'm not going to put a label on myself. I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to work with people in the Jewish community. I'm going to work with people in the Christian community. I'm going to, you know, help who I can help. I'm going to learn from who it is that I can learn from and so on and so forth. And the thing is, that has brought me a great deal of shalom, being able to do that. Being able to do that. And the thing is, some people, you know, keep trying to pull me back. They're like, hey, you, you need to become a rabbi again. You need to go and get another shmei. It's like, no, 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 no. Because then those walls come back up again. Those walls, real or imaginary, seen or not seen are walls that are not only put up that you put yourself in and a box that you put yourself in but it is also a way in which it is that you are perceived as well which causes others to say you know what I might not work with that guy does it mean that being a rabbi or being a pastor or something like that is wrong? Oh, shalom. God forbid. God forbid. Some people are able to cross those boundaries, to work outside of those walls. I was never afforded that opportunity. I didn't know how to do it. Until it is that I decide to do what it is that I do now. I look at my own past. And I say to myself, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Priest Midian, you know, Yisro being accepted by Moshe Rabbeinu. The centurion being accepted by Yeshua. Tax collectors being accepted by Yeshua. A guy that killed Christians. Paul accepted and said, you know what, I'm going to have this dude right here write three-fourths of the New Testament. He's going to write three-fourths of it. What? <laughs> but today, it's like, no, 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 no. We got to have, we got to have the walls, man. We got to have the walls. We got to, um, we got to, you know, separate ourselves from one another. And I'm telling you, 
It's one of the things that causes the death of the Guf HaMashiach. We can move so far forward. So far forward. If we break down those walls between denominations, sex, all of those things, sex of Judaism, not not S-E-X, S-E-C-T-S, okay? Make sure that, you know, sometimes I don't enunciate great. You need to bring, break down those walls. Say, you know what? There is one Israel. One group of God's people, and they're vastly diverse. Christianity and within Judaism. Both. I hope and I pray, guys, that this teaching has been helpful to you. And I want to wish, wish all of you shalom bracha, peace and a blessing. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Shalom.